Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly O'Horo, and this is Adaptable Behavior Explained. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how we work and why we show up the way that we do and how our environments and our lived experience affect us. I'm going to share with you information about emotions, about some neurobiology, about our limbic systems, about how stimulus in our environment affect the way that we show up, and we are either going to fight, freeze, flee, or submit. And these are hardwired into us. I'm going to also talk about symptomology that shows up with my clients and, and clients everywhere, as well as why we do the things that we do. And I'm going, to, I'm going to explain this to you in a way that I explain to my clients at the beginning of treatment when they come in to deal with whatever issues are currently bothering them and what areas of improvement they're looking for. So we're going to talk first about emotion. Emotion is the... Uh, predictor of all behavior. It's absolutely critical to understand that emotion is chemical. We don't have an option when it comes to emotion. We can no more control our emotion than we can control our blinking or our heart rate. And so when people say, you know, you need to just stop feeling so anxious or why don't you just settle down or why did you get so angry? People are so judging themselves or others about this emotional expression. And it's really an unfair thing because although we can learn to create some space between the stimulus and our bodies can learn how to slow down. Ultimately, when we're triggered or we're reactive, we don't have much choice in how we show up when it comes to emotion, which is why we, what ends up happening is we are followed by a bit of a shame spiral when we show up in a way that we're not happy with or in a way that doesn't match our truest self. And then we judge ourselves and we're, we're bothered by how we showed up, whether I got too angry about something or whether I'm so anxious when there's not really any danger or whether I shut down and I feel insecure when I'm in the presence of others that I feel inadequate around. And so ultimately the emotion is first. And oftentimes people come in because they are not happy with how they're showing up and their emotional expression doesn't match the person that they say they are or how they want to move through the world. So step one, emotions, we have to understand they are chemical in nature and they predict every single behavior from birth. An example might be, for example, a curiosity or seeking. We're breastfeeding from, from birth to, to seeking our mother's breasts so that we can uh, smell and find our source of food. Seeking and curiosity are part of the circuit that wires us to move toward that behavior. And so again, Emotion is, a, is the greatest predictor for every single behavior, and it's first, and it's chemical. The second thing I want to talk about is symptomology. When people come to see us, they want to talk about what they do. Maybe they're too angry. Maybe they don't have an interest in something. Perhaps they are struggling with some disordered eating habits or behaviors. Maybe they're emotionally overwhelmed at times when they don't want to be. Perhaps they are irritable or they're dealing with sleep disturbance. Maybe they're numbing. Maybe they have behaviors like, um, you know, constant scrolling or numbing out with uh, TV, YouTube. Perhaps they're doing things like uh, over planning, over functioning, caretaking. Maybe they have panic attacks. Maybe they're too hypervigilant. They can't sit at a restaurant with their back uh, to the door. You know, there's things that they're dealing with, perhaps dysregulation, that they don't want. They don't want to deal with. They don't want to have these sources of discomfort. And so we call those symptoms. And quite frankly, we call them symptoms of trauma. Ultimately, we've been through something that's created an adaptation that's no, no longer useful. 
And we need to make sure that we find a way to downregulate our nervous systems and unlearn behaviors that were not so useful so that we can relearn something that's more adaptive and useful for our adult selves today. So we have our symptoms or our behaviors or experiences that are no longer useful. They're maladaptively encoded in our memory and they're not serving us today. So that's, that's what we would call our symptoms or our problematic behaviors or our experiences we no longer want to deal with. And so those would be kind of like a chief complaint when it comes to um, being in therapy. We would talk about these are things we want to work on. Next, we're going to talk about how it gets there, how our memory is encoded. So we have explicit and we have implicit memory. And a lot of people really undervalue or minimize the the memories that take place that are not so much loaded or explicit memory that are tied together by everything that we see, that we smell, that we that we taste, that we experience in the world and in our environment. People really minimize the things that happen before our brains are fully developed. Our brains are only 25% developed at birth because they'd be too large for us to fit through the birth canal. And so we have all of this memory that is implicitly stored. That means cellularly stored in our bodies that are not necessarily tied to data that matches what we see, smell, taste, feel, etc. And that implicit memory is also tied to epigenetics. This is a whole entire doctoral degree, which I am not a person that could give you enough information about that. That's not my specialty. But I have had the lucky anecdotal experience of watching my patients for 13 years and how much can be encoded that they can't even remember. So our epigenetics happen to be two full generations of information that's stored in our body. And we know this because of the Holocaust studies. We had such a large group of people that experienced such treacherous conditions and in their nervous system lied information of threat, of danger, of anxiety. And so what they realized is there's all of these babies that are two generations from Holocaust experience that are overly anxious, that need to plan, that are hypervigilant. And what they recognized was this information is stored from their parents and from their parents. So we are dealing with the histories of our grandparents and our parents and everything that they went through, as well as our own personal lived experience. And so it's really important to not undervalue your birth story, your early years. You know, did your mom have postpartum depression? Did your dad lose his job when you were one years old and you don't remember it, but everybody was so stressed out? Um, did, Did one of your parents lose a parent? Or even more tragically, you know, are you a product of the foster care system where there was no consistency? You didn't know where you were going to be living. Parents couldn't necessarily keep you. Maybe you were adopted and and you were adopted at birth. And so you know that your parents that adopted you love you and it was such a gift to be adopted, but there's still this inherently deeply hardwired memory that exists that is part of your makeup. And so it's important that we don't minimize those experiences. So for an example, in an adoption, if I'm pregnant and I'm carrying my baby and the whole time I know I'm not going to be able to keep that baby, um, I don't have the funds, I'm perhaps too young, you know, maybe I just had another baby and I don't feel like I will give this baby my attention, but I'm, I don't know what to do. So I carry my baby to full term. I decide to go in and adopt. And the whole time I'm feeling shame, I'm feeling guilt, I'm feeling um, sad, baby's feeling all of that because emotion is chemical. B- 
baby experiences what's going on out there. Is it my fault? Is it dangerous? Why is it that that my mom is feeling this way and I have no other frame of reference because I have no lived experience yet. I'm just in utero getting cooked. And but I know there's something going on and I attribute that to self. So maybe I have like a, an incredibly powerful shame overlay that tends to kind of shut me down. And shame is such an inhibitory emotion and response that Oftentimes what that tells me as a trauma specialist is something happened very, very early if I'm dealing with an adult that has a really profound shame response. So again, memory is really critical to understand that we have both implicit and explicit memories. Now, explicit memories are the things that we can remember. I'm three years old and I'm riding my bike and I crash really bad into a cactus and it's really painful and I'm sore and I'm hurt and I'm crying and I'm alone and I don't know what to do. Now it's really important that we also recognize with memory that oftentimes trauma gets stored, not necessarily because of what happened, but sometimes it's because of what didn't happen. So for example, let's use that cactus example. I'm three years old. I ride my bike into the cactus. I'm distraught. I'm in pain. I'm confused. I'm hurt. I'm rattled. My nervous system is upside down. I go home and my mom goes, I'm so sorry, sweet girl. That's so scary. Everything's awful. I'm so sorry. I'm going to help you as fast as I can. She kisses me on her forehead. She tells me that she understands why I'm scared and that it's going to be okay. That memory might not be encoded maladaptively. However, another scenario could exist. I go home. My mom's overwhelmed. She's just burned her dinner. You know, my sibling is crying. She doesn't know what to do with everything. The stimulus is too much for her nervous system. So instead, when I come in crying after I've crashed my bike into this cactus, she says, oh my gosh, you again, what happened now? And so I'm now not met with compassion. I'm now not met with grace. I'm not met with patience. And so I feel now betrayed. I feel like I'm a burden. I feel like I did something wrong. And so that memory might be encoded differently, thus creating a traumatically informed response as I grow up. So we've got two kinds of memory. We've got explicit and implicit memory. And these are important things to consider when we are talking about our stories and when we're thinking about how our experiences affected the way we show up today. Next, we're going to talk about how those chief complaints or those symptoms end up turning into problems and how the histories of our epigenetics and the originating events are so incredibly important to understand And in the way that we do therapy here at Infinite Healing and Wellness and the way we believe is helpful is from a bottom-up perspective. So we want to talk about therapy from a bottom-up perspective, and that is that we're not just going to talk about what happened to us because that very much dismisses or minimizes how our emotions and how our lived experience are thwarted in time and how they can get encoded maladaptively. And how we can't just talk about something and feel validated and feel heard and understood because it won't change the way that we react when presented with different stimulus or rather the same stimulus in the future that reminds us because it looks, tastes, smells, feels something like something in the past. So let's say I have an accident in the future and it's a car accident and I've crashed my mom's car and I go to tell her. And what got encoded because of the way she showed up for me when I was young was that I was a burden, it was inconvenient, she was you know, disappointed, and she was blaming when I came to her with the cactus memory. 
And now I show up after I've gotten in a fender bender in her car and my body shows up in this way of being afraid to go tell her this thing happened. And maybe I have a lot of experiences where she was kind and compassionate to me. And that one was just one of those where she wasn't. And so that one got a little bit lodged in my memory. It's encoded maladaptively. And so when I go in the house to tell my mom about this fender bender, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for her to be disappointed. I'm waiting for her to blame me. I'm waiting her for her to not care about the injury that happened with me. And so I'm tentative. I don't feel like I'm going to be met with open arms. And that is important to understand that the roots of the way I'm showing up is because of a, a memory that happened before. Now I walk in the door. I tell her that I got in this fender bender. And she goes, oh my gosh, that's so scary everybody's been an offender bender. And so she meets me differently than my three-year-old self who was in the, the accident with the cactus. And I'm kind of surprised by it because I was expecting and waiting for the other shoe to drop because of my memory before. And so I'm lucky that she shows up for me in this compassionate, loving way this time, but I wasn't expecting it because it was so similar to the experience of when I was three. So when people come to us with their presenting issues, I want to be able to say, Let's look at what happened to us, not just what's happening to us now, but what happened to us before. And so we have our symptoms, our presenting issues, that chief complaint. Maybe I'm jumpy when I'm going to go tell somebody that I did something wrong. I'm anxious or I'm nervous when something bad happens because I'm expecting someone not to be kind to me. And so I'm tentative and I'm a perfectionist and I never want to make a mistake and I am leery when I do. And it's partly because of things that happened when I was young. So we have these chief complaints. We have the epigenetic component that I talked about. Am I from a story or a family system where everybody was overwhelmed in my parents' lives and, and even more so people were overwhelmed in their, in, in their parents' lives, my grandparents' lives, and therefore there's a whole line of us that are sort of nervous, anxious, waiting for the other shoe to drop. So we want to understand the epigenetics. And in this picture that you're looking at, this is, this is the, wet, the metaphor of the weed. What I like to make sure I share is this picture is, is helpful to illustrate. We're not just dealing with what happened right now or how you show up or act right now. We're dealing with the, the which would, we would call the symptoms or the top of the weed. But we're also dealing with the roots, the originating events, where the negative beliefs about ourselves, I'm not safe, I can't trust, I'm, I'm powerless, um, you know, it was my fault. These are the beliefs that people come in and they talk about. Those are deeply rooted with the maladaptively encoded memories that are stored with the emotions that happened the first time, the thwarted sensations in our bodies that happened the first time, and then, of course, the negative beliefs that we, that we make up about ourselves as a result of what happened to us in the past. And then we have to consider our epigenetics or the seeds that were planted. And then the bad news is there's also seeds that are planted in our own offspring. So we can, we can um, inadvertently pass along our epigenetic tendencies and how we show up in the world uh, into our offspring. Uh, the good news is, is with EMDR therapy, which is the kind of therapy that I'm going to talk about a lot in our podcast, is... It changes the way our brain fires and wires data, and it changes the way information is encoded, and it can change the way our methyl groups and our RNA are organized, and it can change the way our DNA shows up in our offspring. So if you're, if you're inclined to do the work about yourself prior to 
um, having children, there's an, uh, there's an opportunity for you to change the way you will pass along DNA and information onto your, um, onto your offspring. And I'm not going to dig in too much to that, into that topic because we could go on for weeks and weeks about DNA and RNA, and I am certainly not the expert in that topic. So I don't want to speak out of scope. So when we do EMDR therapy, and one of the things that makes it different than talk therapy is when you go to a talk therapist, you feel better, you feel heard, you feel validated, and it's almost like they cut the top of that weed off, and so there's a little bit more space. It's not as robust, it's not so ugly, it's not so noisy, and you'll feel a little bit better, and we call that a state change. I felt better, I felt heard, I felt listened to, I felt cared for. And talk therapy does that. We can understand the why. We can understand what's going on. We can even feel really cared for and understood by our therapist in that experience. But the problem with not getting to the root of the matter, to the source of the maladaptively encoded memories, is that the next time it's sunny, the next time it rains, that weed just grows again. And so we don't take care of the symptomology once and for all. We don't eliminate that behavior and that experience or the way that we're showing up, that maladaptive uh, adaptation. We don't eliminate that altogether. And with bottom-up therapies like EMDR therapy or somatic experiencing therapy or sensory motor therapy or any mindfulness-based body experience, bottom-up therapy, we can actually change the way our brain fires and wires data. And then when we're presented with stimulus in our environments, we don't have to respond in the ways that we used to uh, or react in the ways that we used to. Instead, there's space between that stimulus and our reaction. And we can then show up with a response that is more adult, that matches today's circumstances. And it's not informed by traumatically informed material. In, In other words, a reaction. And so if you're finding yourself judging some of your reactions, this could be something you could explore in your, in your journey and in your healing and in order to transform yourself into the most authentic, original self that you were always meant to be before all the bad things that should have never happened to you happened. And so uh, one thing I do want to make sure I point out is that, in, that humans are incredibly resilient and we're amazing and not everything gets stored traumatically. Everybody is different. Our resilience is different. Our genetics are different. Our life, our life experiences are different. And there are no two humans that are the same. So I really want, really want to caution you not to be judging yourself. If you show up in one way when somebody says something and, you know, your friend doesn't and you don't understand what's wrong with you, we're not the same fruit. We are, we are all different. We're not, it's not apples and apples. We are all um, bringing to the table our different perspectives, our lived experiences, our genetics. And so it's important to remember that we're all different. So it's not fair to judge yourself. So as a quick recap, today we talked about emotions and how we're hardwired for emotion and how they predict everything. Our symptoms, our chief complaints, what the problems are, uh, our memory and how memory's encoded. And our epigenetics, the root causes of why we show up the way we show up, associated with those complaints. Thank you so much for tuning in today, spending some time on your own self and your awareness. You deserve it. Please go ahead and like and subscribe or share and pay it forward to someone that you think would benefit from learning a little bit about how we work and why we show up the way we show up. And don't forget to lead with love. It'll never steer you wrong.